Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. I appreciate it very much. We are continuing our look at um, the second female in the line of Jesus in the genealogy in Matthew. As we work through that genealogy, we are focusing primarily on these women because they stand out as different. Um, they, they, they wouldn't typically be listed in genealogies. And if you read the genealogies in the Old Testament, you'll never see a woman mentioned in those genealogies. And so Matthew must be doing something. He must be up to something when he puts these women in the line of Jesus. And so one of the things we've talked about is all these women are, are uh, Gentiles, and all these women are also a little suspect. And a little strange, frankly, to be in the line of Messiah. They, they stand out kind of like sore thumbs, to be honest with you, because they don't belong there in a strict sense. So, so we're looking at these women, and, and today is the second day of, of our look at the, the Canaanite prostitute named Rahab who lived in Jericho. So if you go back, if you haven't, if you didn't listen to yesterday's, you might want to listen to it before you listen to today's podcast. But we want to continue talking about this this woman, Rahab, and, and how she fits and why in the world and how is it so odd that she ends up in the line of Jesus, the Messiah. So we looked at the first part of it uh, yesterday, which was that, that the spies were sent by Joshua after the death, about 30 days after the death of Moses, when they are now going to come into the land. He sends spies, just as Moses did, into the land, but he only sends two of them. He, he sends these two men. They go into Jericho to spy out the land, and they end up in the house of a prostitute who happens to live in the, within the city walls. And so she hides them from the king of Jericho, who wants these men to be brought out. She hides them and then lies to him and says they have gone away and run away before the gate to the city was closed for the night. So that's where we left it yesterday. And the gate was shut as soon as the pursuers had gone out. So these men didn't have a way to escape now. Well, they had one way, and we're going to see that way in a minute, um, but they don't. They can't go back out the gate. There's nobody to open the gate for them. Nobody's going to let them out. Once it's closed, it's closed for the evening to, for the protection of the city. So, and then what we're told is, before the men lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to the men, I know that the Lord has given you the land and that the fear of you has fallen upon us and that all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. So she's speaking to these these. Uh, Hebrews, these Israelites, and, and telling them, look, I already know certain things, and I know that the Lord, which is an odd appellation, actually, and I don't mean Appalachian like where I live, I mean A-P-P-E-L-L-A-T-I-O-N, and, and so she says, I know the Lord has given this to you, which is an odd thing, right? I mean, it's a very strange statement for her to make, because who does she think the Lord is? Has she actually come to know and to believe that these men serve the Lord? So she says, I know the Lord has given you the land. Does she know what that means? I mean, we've, we've got to deal with multiple things, right? And, and I can't know these things, but I can only presume these things. We, I know, I, sorry, I know that the Lord, that's an odd statement for her to make, has given you the land. When she says the land, does she mean this city or does she mean the land? 
in the sense that Israel meant the land. So it's a very strange statement to make. I know the Lord has given you the land. An Israelite would understand that completely. A Canaanite? A Canaanite prostitute? Knows this? It's very strange. She seems to know quite a bit. And remember I told you that that one of the reasons that it's presumed that they might have gone to this prostitute was is that that she was a a high-class prostitute, let's say. Based on where she lives and, and other cues in the text, there, uh, there has been the assumption or the presumption that, that she was a, a high-class prostitute. That's the reason some people want to make her into an innkeeper, but, but that's clearly not the case. So, <clears throat> as such, she would have had access to men who traveled and came to Jericho for trade or other reasons, and she would have heard things that other people wouldn't have heard because people let down their guard in such situations and and think, well, I'm just speaking to a prostitute. I can say whatever I like. And so when she says this, then then it could well be that she's heard an awful lot. And then she says, and the fear of you has fallen upon us. And that had to be like the worst feeling that these guys could ever have had, because the fear of you has fallen upon us. What kept them in the wilderness for 40 years? The exact opposite. The fear of the people of the land had fallen upon those 10 of the 12 spies who then that fear was transmitted via those spies to the rest of the nation. So here sit the people of Jericho in fear of the people of Israel when they've been in the wilderness for 40 years because of their fear of these people. So it says, all the inhabitants of the land melt away before you. I mean, it is a pathetic statement. You would, you would hate as a spy who had just spent 40 years in the wilderness eating nothing but manna when there was a land of milk and honey lying ahead of you. And what you find out is these people have been trembling in fear of us. And, and then lest you think this happened yesterday, she says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea before you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion and Og, whom you devoted to destruction. She knows so much Israelite history, it's unbelievable. And that history has convinced her and the inhabitants of the land that they don't stand a chance against these people. For why? Because we heard how the Lord did, you, did these things. And Sion and Og were, in some people's um, view, the last of the giant kings. And that's the reason they had to be devoted to destruction. They were descendants of the Nephilim. And so they had to be devoted to destruction. And so she said, we heard all this stuff. We knew all of this. We heard about the Lord drying up the Red Sea when you came out of Egypt and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites. So she knows a lot of Israelite history. She knows that this goes all the way back to Egypt. This isn't something that happened yesterday. It's not the same as the Moabites who see them camped in the, in the plains opposite them and come into fear because of the numbers. No, she says, no, we heard what happened when you came out of Egypt. We heard about the drying up of the Red Sea. We heard what happened to the giant kings that no one could conquer except you. And as soon as we heard it, she says, as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. And there was no spirit left in any man because of you. As soon as we heard it. For 40 years, we've been waiting in fear of you people. What kept you so long? Our fear of you. 
it's it's amazing. It's how we live too often, right? Lord tells us to go do something, and and we're afraid. They're going to think badly of me. They're going to make fun of me. They're going to reject me. They're going to whatever. She said, we've been living in fear of you and what kept you for 40 years. Well, because we were afraid of y'all. It's an amazing, amazing thing. And as soon as we heard it, our hearts melted. There was no spirit left in any man because of you. Why? For the Lord your God, he is God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. If you thought it was a bizarre statement that she made before, the Lord has given you the land, this goes beyond anything anybody could ever imagine. The way people understood gods was that the gods were territorial. That's why when Moses says to Pharaoh, we want to give me the freedom to go ahead and take these people three days out into the wilderness, the, the belief was that the, the, the reach of a god was about a three days journey. And so what he was saying to Pharaoh was, give us three days, let us get three days away, and then we'll go worship our god. So it's offensive in the sense that he's saying, let us get outside of your reach, and then saying, we're going to go out there and we're going to um, worship our God because you're not him. And then, so he refuses. Nope, I'm going to keep you in here under my control. And then what happens? Well, God shows him, you ain't in control, big fella. I got control. And he brings all the plagues down on Egypt, showing who is actually the God of Egypt. And that is what Rahab believes. Partly. Because that's not even all she believes. And, and the rest of what she believes is actually kind of the way Jewish sages and scribes say makes her different, sets her apart from other converts and other Gentiles. Her confession is more than just he's God on the earth. <laughs> he's God in the heavens above. He is the God of gods. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords is what her statement is right here. It's an incredible statement for her to make. She knows more about God, about Yahweh, than they do. She knows to fear him. And what do we know about fear the Lord, right? It's the beginning of wisdom. She's on her way. What she's going to see and experience and learn is going to be beyond that. She's going to be taught the way of truth in the same way that Gentiles have to be taught the way of truth in the same way that converted Jews have to be taught the way of truth because they've been partially misled and misunderstand even Yahweh. When you reject the Messiah, when you reject Jesus, then, then you need a little bit at least of re-education in order to do that. But you also need one thing first, and that's the Holy Spirit. And so Rahab is seen as sort of the, the exemplar of a convert. And, and, and it said that God even is impressed with the statement that Rahab makes here when she says that he is um, God in the heavens above and on the earth beneath. She's saying there's no God like him. There's no God like him anywhere. It's an amazing statement for this Canaanite woman to make. <clears throat> now then, she says, Please swear to me by the Lord that as I have dealt kindly with you, you also will deal kindly with my father's house and give me a sure sign that you'll save alive my father and mother, my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and deliver our lives from death. So she believes these men can make this 
pact with her, this covenant with her, that, that they will save them from death because she's certain the only other way this turns out, if they don't make this covenant, is they're all going to die. But who's she asking for? She's asking that you save alive my father and mother, brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and deliver our lives from death. So she's not just asking for herself. She's asking in, in the same way that, well, Noah did, that her whole family would be saved because of her faith. And what a beautiful thing. It's sort of like the Philippian jailer. It's sort of like Cornelius, the Roman centurion, who sees his whole family saved because of his faith. They come to faith because of him. Who would have guessed that a prostitute would lead the way? Who would have guessed when Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well that he's going to find the worst person in the entire city, bring her to salvation, and then because of her, they'll know too, and they will be saved. But they've got to own that faith for themselves. But it's, it's a very similar situation in so many ways. That, that she has seen the truth, she has confessed the truth, and now she's asking this men, these men to make a covenant with her. They're supposed to devote this entire city to destruction. And when that happens, in another place, with the Amalekites, with Saul, the first king of Israel, when he fails to devote the entire entirety of the Amalekites to destruction, he loses his kingship because of that. Because he was, in, he was intended to kill all of them, and he did not. Here, they're not rebuked for saving the life of this prostitute and her family. Why? Because she confessed him to be the king of kings and the lord of lords. She knew who he was. She recognized more than they did. She knew more than they did. She had greater fear of him. She understood his greatness in a way that they didn't understand. That's the reason that they lived in fear in the wilderness for low those 40 years. It's an amazing statement. Every bit of this is almost beyond belief. And she says, our hearts melted within us when we heard these things. In other words, we stood in abject fear. We knew that he was the Lord. We know what happened in Egypt. We know what happened at the Red Sea. We know what happened to the kings of the Amorites, those giant kings that the rest of us lived in fear of, that you guys destroyed them. What in the world has delayed you for 40 years coming into the land? It's, it's absolutely stunning that she makes these confessions. And, and, and I guarantee you this, when these two spies heard this, whoever they might have been, and I'll tell you tomorrow who, who they um, kind of think they are, they, they, their hearts must have melted within them too. It, just, it, it almost would make you sick, wouldn't it, to think that you'd live 40 years in the wilderness on, on manna? and had seen all the things that happened while they were in the wilderness, all the devastation and destruction, the loss of faith, and the, the, all that. And, and they, she doesn't even mention Sinai when they had an audience, a personal audience with God, and then, then he led them in the wilderness those 40 years. She doesn't mention any of those things. She just mentions the deeds of the Lord that she knows about and says, we've lived in fear and dread of you ever since we heard these things. So afterwards, after she asked them to make this covenant with her, because I have dealt kindly with you, then you'll deal kindly with us. And the men said to her, our life for yours, even to death. If you do not tell this business of ours, then what the Lord gives us, when the Lord gives us this land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. Did you hear that? When the Lord gives us the land, we will deal kindly and faithfully with you. They have faith. 
her confession here has increased their faith to the point where they're willing to say now, when the Lord gives us this land, because they know that it's not theirs, it's not theirs to take, it's God's, and he will give it to them. He's got to take it from the inhabitants of the land, and they will be the instrument of that taking. But that's not their work, really. It's his work. Then she let them down by a rope through the window, for her house was built into the city wall, so that she lived in the wall. And she said to them, Go into the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you, and hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Then afterward you may go on your way. So she didn't just hide them. She didn't just lie on their behalf. She also gave them a way out of the city when there was no other way out of the city. It happened in God's providence, that she lived in the wall of the city. They were in the right place at the right time so that they could escape without detection. They couldn't go back out through the gate. They couldn't go back out through the gate now because it's, it's night. They couldn't go back out through the gate tomorrow because they're wanted men. So she gives them a way out, and she lets down this cord, this rope, so that they can leave. And then she doesn't just do that. She tells them where to go. Go to the hills, or the pursuers will encounter you. In other words, go the other way. Go the opposite direction. They're headed towards the Jordan. You go the other way. You go to where the hills are, or they're going to encounter you. And you hide there for three days until the pursuers have returned. So you go stay there, stay in that place. Then afterward, you may go your way. They have to trust her completely. They have to trust her. And that's why they say, our life for yours, even to death. We're trusting you. And if you prove to be trustworthy, then we will live and we'll come back and you will live. If we can't trust you, we understand that what that means is we will die. And if that happens, so will you. But she tells them where to go, where to hide, because she sent the pursuers in a different direction. She's already taken care of that, and now she sends them in, an, in the opposite direction. And then says, wait there three days. That's how long they're going to look, af- look for you. And, and then after three days, you can go back. You can go back to where you belong. And the men said to her, we will be guiltless with respect to this oath of yours that you made us swear. Behold, when we come into the land, in other words, what they're saying is, we're going to do this. We're, we, we will keep this oath But here's what it's got to work. When we come into the land, you shall tie this scarlet cord, the same one they came down on, in the window through which you let us down, and you shall gather into your house your father and your mother and your brothers and all your father's household. Then if anyone goes out the doors of your house into the streets, his blood shall be on his own head, and we shall be guiltless. But if a hand is laid on anyone who's with you in the house, his blood shall be on your head. Do you hear that story the same way I do? Do you hear this is... Passover for Rahab. If you gather everybody into the house together, then when death comes to everyone else, you and your family will be saved. And there's a sign that you're to give in order to effectuate that salvation. In the same way, they had to put blood on the lintel and the doorposts. She has to let down this scarlet cord. And that's the sign to them, that she'll live and she will be saved. But if you tell this business of ours, then we shall be guiltless with respect to your oath that you made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. 
Then she sent them away, and they departed, and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. It's an amazing story. The story of Rahab is absolutely amazing. She's going to experience her own Passover when she sees all her countrymen die. She and her family, however, like the Jews in Egypt, like Noah and his family in the ark, will be saved. Tomorrow, one more day on Rahab.